Totally Football Show. Today, it's those Champions League semi-finals featuring Bayern and Salah. Liverpool celebrating, everyone salivating over a terrific performance from Klopp's mob. We ask, is Di Francesco slower to respond than Ryanair customer services? Also today, call it Avengers Infinity Wars, Arsenal's farewell tour season, other set to with old friends Man United. All that plus faint glimmers of a battle at the bottom, the big games abroad and the latest on the biggest title race in Europe for the role of Arsenal manager in this Totally Football Show. I'm leaving on a jet plane. That's right, listeners. Join me while you can, if you can, because uh, I'm about to head off to the Philippines, but luckily I'm here with Jules Laurent. Hello. James Horncastle. G'day. And Countryside's Matt Scott. Hello, watcher. For a special send-off. God, it's going to be weird not being here next week when so many big games are being played. So many things still to be decided. Premier League wide open and the Champions League too <laughs> after those semi-finals this week. First thing to say actually about this, this, the semi-finals is the appalling news about the uh, Liverpool fan in, in critical condition. Still. Has there been any update on, on his I think he's health? still in critical condition as we record. And, and top work with the immediate arrests of the people involved. Hopefully everyone involved has been identified and apprehended, but best wishes to him. And crazy that that, that would come about from walking past a pub ahead of a football match. Anyway, Jules, the football. Football. Yes. Here's Raul to kick things off for us. I can only watch one semi-final second leg next week. Which should I go for? Interesting question from Raul. I think Raul would be crazy. Is it, is it the Raul? The, the Raul from yeah. Raul should you know would be crazy just to watch one. Why would you want to watch one? Watch well, both. He might have plans. Or yeah, yeah, he might. No, have. Tuesday, Wednesday, next. But week. if in a hypothetical world in which you only had ninety minutes of TV viewing, which would you pick? I, I would go for the the Real Madrid Bayern one. Really? Yeah, I would. I think as as amazing Roma uh, Roma Tada was against Barcelona mm-hmm. in in the last round. I just don't see them being able to not concede against this Liverpool team yeah. at home, which would then would make things so far more difficult for them to go through. Whereas, just to finish before you go, I think this Real Madrid team is still quite fragile, to mm. use the word that Thomas Müller used last night in, in the mix zone, and could well concede again at home, score probably as well, but also concede. And I think that would make it be more interesting than I think the, the Roma Liverpool. Well, I, I do take your point. This is a Real Madrid team, after all, that lost 3 1 in their last appearance at the Bernabeu in the Champions League to Juventus very nearly crashed out then and there. Having said that, though, speaking with your heart, there's no question which was the more enjoyable semi final this. This this midweek, James. Oh, it was so much fun. Um, because, and you were there at Anfield. Yeah, and uh, it was like an opera. You know, there were three acts. You know, the first twenty eight minutes, if you like, um, it was relatively balanced insofar as if you look at the shot count. I think Roma had three shots, Liverpool had three shots, and then Liverpool had that what looked like a good spell. I, I mean, I was there, and, and, and Mane missed what a couple of chances. You think, oh, maybe if Roma can ride this out. That would be that would be great, but instead that spell didn't really end until the 70th minute, and uh, what between that period and the end of the first half, Liverpool had 10 shots, and you know they ended the game with five five goals, but really it could have been five nil already at half time, mm. consi- considering um, how they carved through Roma. Absolutely, it, it was an astonishingly 
competent performance or was it an astonishingly incompetent performance from the opposition? <laughs> yeah, I said before the game, I, I thought this was a Roma side that could do damage to uh, live themselves. And, uh, and yes, exactly what happened. It was bizarre because they've played three at the back three times this season mm. uh, against Lazio once, uh, experimentally against Barcelona when they had literally, you know, it was, it, it, they were out of the competition if, if they, something didn't happen. So mm. they chose to, to, to try something completely different. And just because it worked on that one occasion, they abandoned everything that's made them successful over the course of this season. And, and I, I thought it was really strange because, you know, what you want from, from Roma is... is the fullbacks to get forward a bit and three, slinging some crosses for for Jacko and yeah. for him to do damage and I think that that was something that that Liverpool may have found very very difficult. Right, but it didn't happen like it, that. It, it didn't happen. The last time I saw a, a manager, James, on on Golazzo this week, you were describing how the Roma players were clearly aware of how the game was disintegrating around them and looking to De Francesco on the sidelines for some guidance, from some help, from some changes, and nothing was coming. He was basically just there muttering, looking bamboozled and, and bewildered. I mean, he was just kind of fiddling with his zip away from being a full Arsene Wenger there. <laughs> exactly. But look, it's not just him either, though. I mean, there was no in-game management from the players. It, it, it was... I mean, Costas Malonas looked like he'd he'd never seen Mohamed Salah play before, which is really odd because they were teammates last yeah. year. So, you know, how on earth can can they have have just been standing off the guy when you've got to have the intelligence, in-game intelligence, to be able to react to situations and to look at a player and think, as Rio Ferdinand said afterwards, have they never watched the videos of these guys? Yeah, well, it got even worse than that. Which was striking, Matt, because they said even after the game in the mix zone, Florenzi and De Rossi was we knew everything about. Of course. Liverpool, we'd we'd done so much homework on them, so we knew that they were going to do this, and yet, um, yeah, I think Di Francesco was complaining after the game, not entirely throwing his players under the bus, but saying, yeah, there's nothing wrong with playing three at the back and playing a high line in this game, but we lost all the individual battles, and when it came to um, making a decision as to when to step out and when to drop off, we got that wrong every time. See, I feel he did throw the players under the bus, because he walks into the press conference looking absolutely face like thunder mm. he sits down and literally the first thing he says is I know you're all going to go on about the formation because you're all managers and you all know best talking to the journalists yeah. but the fact is as you say if your players miss out on all the head to head clashes if they're just a step behind now he may be right but if you're a manager who's just stood and witnessed your game plan falling apart and have failed spectacularly in front of everybody to respond. The first thing you do is go, I made a mistake. I really need to, to, to rectify this. Yeah, if somebody asks you about the players, you can throw something in. But I wonder how that's going to affect that. what must have been an awful mood mm. heading back to Rome. An awful mood, though, that was alleviated a little bit by Liverpool's bizarre ending to the game. Now, some people have pinned this on Ings coming on. Others have mentioned Salah going off. Tom Williams says Klopp's Liverpool are like the football equivalent of the film Speed. As soon as they take the foot off the accelerator, there's trouble. Or another one from Daniel Harris on Eurosport. Liverpool worked them out, ravaged and savage Roma, put the tie to bed and then allowed it downstairs for milk and biscuits. Yeah, well, I don't think you can argue with any of that. There was no reason why they should allow the opposition to take their foot off the throat, and that was the way it was. You know, the, the penalty was unfortunate, I, I thought, but, mm. but Milner's got to know that he's got to keep his arms by his sides, so it was given away. You know, it was a reasonable penalty to give, but not the kind of thing that you felt was going to happen. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't like uh, Roma had earned that particularly. Mm. Why did you take Salah off? 
But Messi never comes off. Ronaldo never comes off. Why do you take your main threat? We suddenly... Well, there's the Stoke game coming up at the weekend. Yeah. It was... I was baffled. Baffled. When I saw his number on the board, I was like, what? Why? The guy is on, the guy is on fire. I mean, L'Equipe gave him 9 out of 10, which is, you know, in, the, in their ratings, which is, as we mentioned before on the pod, really, really rare. The guy was on fire. He's a threat. Even when he doesn't have the ball, mm. Kolarov or Fadzo, who, whoever is near him, wouldn't go forward because you just don't know. And then you take him off. 15 minutes before the end, you take him off. You find it up, you take him off. Why are you doing this? Yeah. And then suddenly, on the left-hand side, for example, it got a bit better. And then suddenly, Roma had the upper hand. And you wonder, like, why did you, why did you take him off? I really, I really didn't understand And that. Liverpool, arguably, a little bit fortunate. I need to concede two in that, that, that yeah. final spell of the game. Having said all this, because the two Roma goals came at the end, it does shift the, the whole kind of focus to what Liverpool got wrong. But prior to that, one of the most awesome performances we've seen from an English oh. club in the Champions League in a long time. Yeah, absolutely. I, Roma just couldn't live with them. Um, you know, once um, Liverpool upped the intensity and uh, figured Roma out, because I think James Milner played a big part in that, yes. um, because sort of Roma's pressing game up until that point had forced Liverpool to go along, which they were happy to do, but they had less time on the ball and they were less precise because of the pressure that Roma brought. Milner then basically dropped out to help the centre-backs. And that, I think, gave Roma a little bit more to think about. And all of a sudden, Van Dijk, Trent Alexander-Arnold, who also had a good game, had that little bit of time to be more precise with those long balls over the top. I think they played 16 over the game and just kept catching Roma out over and over again. I think Milner's sort of savvy and positioning in that sense, help them change the game, what had been balanced for 28 minutes. Mm. And also, I think that the other reason why Roma played so much into their hands is down to the goalkeeper. I mean, I, I said, you know, how on earth does Alisson get to be the, the Brazil keeper ahead of Edison? And everybody's going, well, he wasn't at full for any of the goals. But what he wasn't doing was sweeping up behind his defence. The, the, the distance between the defence and the goal was made all the greater because there wasn't a, a man being that sweeper-keeper, which is absolutely what you need. But did the speed of Liverpool's attack mean that he didn't have time to, to move forward and react? If he were to have been playing off his line, then it may have just deterred those balls coming in in the first place. It's an interesting viewpoint, Matt. Let me ask you this then. Uh, well, let, let me echo Paul McIntosh's question when he says, what can Roma realistically do to give themselves any chance in the second leg other than preparing a dry pitch? Gav Marcotti was suggesting taking a kind of West Bromesque set pieces and raining long balls and crosses in on Carrius approach. I don't think it's as good a tactic as any. I mean, it's the kind of thing that, that, that plays to Roma's strength. It's what they've done most of the time and what I expected them to do in this leg that, that they chose not to do. Really quite utter lunacy that they didn't. <laughs> uh, so when they do it at home, you know, revert to type, do what they're used to doing, use the strengths of Jekko, which are tremendous. He's still a very, very good number nine. Um, and, and put those crosses in. And I think that they'll get, they'll get some joy, particularly against Karras, as you point out. I mean, he's not the strongest under the high ball, as we saw in that game, because he well, did fumble a couple. The 3-0 that they got against Barcelona... And the quarterfinals would be enough to take them through in this case. Jules, you've got some experience with remarkable second-half comebacks yeah. against all the odds in Champions League knockout. What, how, how, what percentage chance do you I just think Liverpool think? are going to score. Yeah. And if Liverpool score one, there's, I don't think this Roma team can score four. I do, mean, if, do you know how many goals Roma have conceded at home in the Champions League this year? Zilch. None goals. Zilch. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah. That's true. This is clearly a ploy. Oh, from Di Francesco, knowing that a three-goal margin is the most dangerous margin in football. There you um, go. So, you know. All right, well, Liverpool, anyway, after their performance and then after the second semi-final on Wednesday, 
Will will they now quite fancy their chances? No, you can't do that. You really? can't watch that but game. But Bayern and Real Madrid, it was a disappointing performance but from ev- both. Yeah, but that doesn't mean they would be disappointing in the final. No. You know, every game is so is so different. I mean, I think Glenn Hoddle said on the commentary, like, you wonder how this Roma beat Barcelona 3-0. No, you don't wonder. You don't wonder. You watched that game and they were just perfect on that day. That doesn't mean they would be perfect every game. And every game is so different. What what do you wonder how they beat Barcelona? Mm. They were the better side. They won three 0 They were they had an amazing game plan that they executed it perfectly well. They deserved that win. Then they go to Liverpool and it just just doesn't go as much their way. But, right. but every but, game is different. But were you disappointed with, with with Bayern and Real Madrid and their performance Wednesday? Yeah, I thought there were far too many mistakes made in that game, which is surprising at that level for both for both sides for keepers defenders. I mean. You know, when your fullbacks, which is, by the way, a very underrated position, I think, still in modern football, where they are so such key players, mm. still when they are pretty much your best players, more or less, is that is that that game was very different than what you would expect. Marcelo, who'd been exposed quite ruthlessly by Juventus in the previous round, contributing a goal and the moment of the midweek in this one with that incredible stop that looks as though it's been edited. Oh. Yeah, just kills it dead, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. yeah, contributed two goals, you might say, in this oh, yeah. uh, in this game, yeah. and uh, he just decided not to track back uh, well, that was at a bit all. Unfortunate, yeah, because the multi ball, the multi ball was, mm. was a bit bit naughty. Why? The guy has so much experience everywhere away from home in Europe. That happens. Why are you chasing the ball that has gone for a goal kick, like he did? He's on. He's on. Ah, come on, man! He knows exactly the ball was going to come back straight away. <laughs> That's so stupid. It's so stupid for Marcelo. At that level, you can't make a mistake like this and just Ruffini, go and get the ball. And He's Brazilian. Same mistake, yeah. <laughs> same, but like that's that's an under sixteen mistake. Well, even under twelve mistakes from Rafinha. Right. Panicking like that. But okay. not very. I mean, Sean of all those players, they, their chances of getting into the final seem less than. Well, the, yeah, the injuries looked like it, it. It could cost them, but they were actually probably the better side in this game. No. Had it not been yeah. for Lewandowski's off Rail, oh. Rail again got it wrong. I mean, Zinedine Zidane, Zidane I, I thought that his, his line-up was, was the wrong one. You know, he looked so isolated, Ronaldo, without Benzema alongside him. And Benzema obviously had the hump to be sitting on the bench throughout the game until, you know, late on his introduction. But, I, I mean, I really do think that they're, they're going to be a far more difficult proposition at home, Real Madrid. They'll be at it, they'll be playing two up top and it will play into Ronaldo's hands. And but this I, is I, the thing, they play badly and they win away in Munich. Mm. And this is what mm. Madrid do, yeah. you know, they just find a way. Um, and often but it's... last time they were at the Bernabeu in the Champions League, they lost 3-1 mm. to Juventus. So, And this is the season of comebacks. I can see Bayern... I could see Bayern going too. Well, the injuries that they sustained uh, mm. in that first leg, I think that really disrupted them, even though towards the end of the first half, Ribéry had that chance where he was sort of one-on-one oh, yeah. with Kayla Navas and his first touch let him down. Yeah. They had a couple of situations from corner kicks where I think they could have could have done better. But those injuries now, I think particularly the one to Boateng, who they don't expect yeah. to be back, um, that I think is damaging. They think Robin will be fit in time. Um, but... I think that really kind of um, his game plan kind of went up in smoke then because they played a really kind of attacking uh, starting eleven, and the, the you know the changes they're down to their bare bones. They're already without Coman, Alaba, Vidal. Vidal. Alaba, Alaba will come back. No, is out obviously. Mm-hmm. And speaking of injuries, by the way, poor old Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain. 
Yeah, it looked it looked bad as soon as he did yeah. it. He held the front of his knee. That sort of looked like it was a medial collateral ligament problem. It's unusual for that to go without the ACL as well. But um, yeah, I mean that's him done for the World Cup without question. Yeah. He's missed last two major tournaments, I think, through injury yeah, as well. Injuries, yeah. It's about it's the same. It looks like it's the same knee that he had problems with at, uh, at Arsenal. So that's a real shame. All right, Matt. Very impressive your your medical manner there. <laughs> Somebody put on Twitter, when I put that out immediately then, I said, you know, that could be his World Cup done. It looks like an MCL. Somebody goes, well, Doctor Two are you now? (laughs) People don't like it. People, eh? (laughs) Hey, well, let's continue our chat about the football with a little bit of Man United Arsenal after this. You're listening to the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power, the home of the Money Back Special. Keep listening to the end of the podcast to find out more. Mmm, the sweet sounds of Eric Pride taking Steve Winwood's Valerie and putting a fresh contemporary spin on it <laughs> and reaching number one in the process on the weekend of the 24th of October 2004. Why is that date special, Matt Scott? Uh, it was the end of Arsenal's 49 match unbeaten run. So it was. Mm. So it was. Arsenal fans arriving at Old Trafford that day looking forward to number 50. They've tried three times to beat us in this run and they've not done it yet, so why should they do it today? 50 unbeaten today. Thank you very much. Take our game and off we go. Smith had found Giggs more by accident than design, but here's Sarr. Smith's open on the right. Rooney in the middle. Here's Rooney! Manchester United wrap it up. And Rooney has the happiest of birthdays. He's done it to Arsenal again. After all the kerfuffle on the field, you had all the all the tumult in the in the tunnel. Cesc Fabregas, who's now confirmed that he he threw the pizza at Sir Alex. I think some flying soup was involved as well. Is that right, Matt? Mm. Were you enraged? Well, over I, over the the uh, Rooney dive. I mean, there's no question that he was going down before there was any contact because there wasn't any contact. Um, so withdrew his foot. Um, so yeah, definitely, I felt enraged about that. But I've actually gone back and watched it since, and you know, we were all very upset about some of the challenges that. Manchester United were putting in, but there were one or two, one or two from Arsenal players as well that were the pretty tasty at the time. So uh, Mike Riley was a very much a laissez-faire old mother Riley, as as he was often called. Um, you know, he, 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 Baba O'Reilly. Yeah. yeah, he wasn't somebody to to particularly be an authoritarian as a as a referee. And mm. now he heads, of course, the the, the entire PGMOL uh, refereeing system in England. Indeed, he does. What would you rather be hit by, yeah. soup or pizza? I go pizza. Pizza, pizza yeah. definitely. Even yeah. with the molten cheese sort it's of It's not stick. usually molten. No. Unless it unless it ex- came flying out of the, the wood-fired oven. oven. Yeah. Then that might be that might sting. Mm. Yeah, but in all be, other regards you just kind of have a you know piece of bread culinary some, napalm, wouldn't it? It would be culinary <laughs> napalm that's absolutely You know right. the um, the funny yeah. story about the pizza gate is that I was with the guy from L'Equipe at that game we were there. You together. were there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and we got told very quickly by the French boys who who threw the pizza and what happened in that tunnel. And the, the guys from the English media, especially tabloid guys, were dying to know who threw the pizza. And we couldn't, we, we couldn't say. So we said, okay, this is, this is as much as we can help you. He's not English. Yep. He's white. And he's, he's quite young, right? The next day... Right. The, the <laughs> next day, 
the front page of the Sun was Ashley Cole through the piece of pizza on Sir Alex Ferguson. Right. We've just told you. We've just told you he's neither black, English. Okay, young. Maybe Ashley Cole was young enough. But yet they went. They went from maybe they the had other wrong sources. Oh, excuse well, me. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ashley Cole. Afterwards, saying this slice of pizza came flying over my head and it hit Fergie straight in the mush. The slap echoed down the tunnel and everything stopped. The fighting, the yelling, everything. All eyes turned and all mouths gawped to see this pizza slip off that famous puce face and roll down his nice black suit. Um, I'm not buying that. No. Ashley Cole never said that. Never. Never Puce, said that. Does he, I mean, if anybody said, what colour is this? Would he ever <laughs> use that word? <laughs> anyway, um, Arsene Wenger was fined £15,000 for his post-game comments. Yeah, Ruud van Nistelrooy was banned for three matches after the, the, the tackle that he made on, I think, Ashley Cole. Mm. Um, yeah, violent conduct missed by Mike Riley. Yeah, but a turning point in, in Arsene Wenger's career, arguably. I mean, they, they were top at the time. Yeah, and also Alex Ferguson said that of him. It was sort of the turning point in in his managerial zen. He'd come over from from Japan and insisted on having serenity in every every dressing room, and you know he he wouldn't make any comments. He'd let the players talk and all the rest of it. But Alex Ferguson felt that, that was the time that he allowed his guard to slip, and everything ended for Arsene Wenger in terms of his authority afterwards. I think there's an argument for that potentially. Wow, it's a big call, isn't it? That's a, a mighty important slice of flying pizza. Well, this time, of course, no Sir Alex Ferguson anymore uh, on the Man United bench, and there soon won't be any Arsene Wenger on the Arsenal one. Arsenal coming into this clash at Old Trafford, looking for their first away point of 2018, <laughs> which says it all, Matt. <laughs> what, what exactly does it say, actually? <laughs> it says that Arsenal are not very good. Mm. Um, it says that it's time for Arsene Wenger to move on. You know, 11 defeats this season. Not good enough for, for Arsenal Football Club. Yeah, um, Thierry Henry was talking about this on Monday Night Football on Sky because obviously the Wenger news had come through and they were looking back at the Wenger years and they were reflecting on the fact that um, they had two seasons where they went undefeated away from home. And I think only Preston North End had done that before those two Arsenal sides that he was a part of. And you compare it with, with this season's record on the road. It's just horrendous. It really is. Although, looking back at the reverse fixture in December, how United won that one, 3-1. Yeah. De Gea was absolutely mm. incredible. Um, probably deserves their Player of the Season award on that performance alone. Um, so I suppose they could take some encouragement from how they played in that. Yeah, that array record is, is is why they are where they are right now. Yeah, when you look back on that clash, and also the one before the the, the previous year with the the Van Nistelrooy penalty and Martin Keown shouting, just the challenges going in are uh, amazing. I mean, the stuff mm. off the ball when, yeah. even when the games stop, the, the, the people studying into other other people, you kind of miss that. You still yeah, get that from Granite Shaka so though, no? <laughs> yeah, he's too slow to get there. Isn't he? Well, yeah, but he still goes in. <laughs> There was there was a lot of hatred between between those two teams and two two squad two you know two squad of players. I mean you know the Vieira, Roy Keane and all of that was just Roy was something. Wasn't on the pitch that day, it was not on the pitch, but you know like there has built up obviously through the years and all mm. that rivalry and everything was just something there that you don't see so much anymore. Which no. is, every single tackle went to ground. Yeah, for, I it mean, was it, crazy. <laughs> but that was that was one. that was the thing. That was United to beat them. We're always going to. We're always going to do that. And I'm sure Gary never mentioned it before that they went into that game knowing that, you know, if you were very, very physical and very aggressive 
on such, you know, if you were doing it on Patrick Vieira, no problem, he would respond. But there was a lot of those Arsenal players who wouldn't respond well to that kind of attitude and they didn't on that day. The yeah. precursor to it had been the, the semi-final of the FA Cup against Manchester United in which United did exactly the same thing and Neville, Paul Scholes were kicking a lot of Arsenal players up in the air and this was, you know, the the the, the ability for, the, the one opportunity for Sir Alex Ferguson to preserve his his treble because Arsenal had they gone on and won that game they probably won, would have won the FA Cup and it was yeah. as a result of some injuries before the Chelsea, before the Chelsea game in the quarter final of the Champions League uh, in which Reyes was was an, a severe injury doubt and mm. a very important player for Arsenal at the time um, and they lost that against Chelsea as well they ran out of steam in that game as well and, and I, I think a lot of it was on the fact that, that Manchester United <laughs> kicked them up in the air so heavily in that previous match. Wow. I think Arsenal would have won the treble had had that game gone their way. Wow. Anyway, here we are now in 2018 and not really anything to play for for either team in, in mm. this clash. Arsenal have a massive uh, Europa League semi-final against Atletico Madrid coming up Thursday evening after we record this, which I imagine will be more a priority. Matt, not sure if you caught what Arsene Wenger said just yesterday at the press conference. I've had no break for 35 years and our job you can look around that doesn't exist. I don't know now how addicted I am. I'm a bit like a guy who plays Russian roulette every week and suddenly has no gun anymore. So I will see how much I miss that gun. Yeah. That was, was Arsenal speaking yesterday. Yeah. At the... I thought the most telling thing about that press conference was where he said, you know, I, I, I basically I didn't jump, I was pushed. I think he was talking about the announcement, not the decision. Mm, no, I think, I mean, I think ultimately he, mm. he, he, it was a reve- revealing comment about the fact that so he So what actually sick. happened then? And what's going to happen next? Well, that's a, a very important question. I, I think that, you know, it's worth looking at what what is this job about you know how valuable is this job if you are a manager a top manager in world football and you look at arsenal now you're going to be looking at the personnel and the finances of that football club and think what kind of a job can i do i've got to go in there to replace a man who's been in for 22 years i've got to play a certain brand of football i've got to deliver success that will satisfy some of the the most insurgent fans in football you know how will i go about doing that um and he will look at a, a team sheet that's that's looking pretty threadbare, a midfield that's going to be shorn of Santi Gazzola, not that he plays much anymore, probably Jack Wilshere also. Aaron Ramsey's down to one year on his contract. Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain's already left. Coughlin's gone this summer. There's a midfield of basically Xhaka and El Elneny. That's it. Um, so there's a lot of money that needs to be spent there. He's got a central defence that doesn't look up to it at times, um, you know, particularly with Koscielny having to be nursed through. The goalkeeper. The goalkeeper has got one year on his contract. Both goalkeepers, Ospina mm-hmm. and Czech, only have a single year on their contract. You probably need to replace them anyway. So there's not a great deal of money you can pull in. Ramsey doesn't look like signing on, so if Arsenal are going to get any residual value, they probably need to sell him. That's the last midfielder they have left. But they've got loads of money in the bank. Why are people well, talking about only £50 million being available? Arsene Wenger, in 2016-17, Arsenal spent £108 million net. I mean, that was an extraordinary amount of money for very little return. They bought Shaka and Mustafi, were basically the headline purchases that summer. It meant that they eroded £47 million out of their cash balance, which was 20% of it. 
um, you know, they they overspent. They overspent, although they sold Oxley Chamberlain, Walcott, and one or two others the, over the course of this season. They have spent fifty million pounds twice effectively on Aubameyang and Lacazette. So you know, those there's an awful lot of expenditure in the transfer market, and all of that will be, there'll be a lot of staged payments still to be made right. on, on those deals. So I, I think that's why that fifty million pound number exists. They will try to raise a bit more. You know, look at what I've just talked about. The players they've got to buy. The forward line's absolutely fine. That doesn't need addressing. But every single other position, the spine of that team otherwise needs dealing with. And that's going to cost them. You know, £50 million is not enough money to do that. Right. Um, And is £50 enough to attract the kind of managers that... Well, precisely. I don't think... You you look at that picture. If you you are... Thomas Tuchel and you've it's a no-brainer you're going to go to the most moneyed club in the world you're, you're you know any of these guys Ralph Rangnick why would he leave the, the Red Bull franchise he's got two sporting directors jobs loves the the job he does doing fantastically well mm. you know he would not leave so I mean I, I my hunch and it is only a hunch is that the Yogi Lowe will end up as the Arsenal manager really? because I think that fits yeah I do because I think he, he when was the last time he managed a club uh, Austria Vienna. I mean, it's a you know, it's a long time since he has been a, a, a club manager, and he's not necessarily going to going to be any good for Arsenal. But it's the kind of thing the board can sell, right? To you know, in the he's face name, of an insurrection, he's definitely a name. Hmm. And he used to not paying for players, of course. Yeah, well, precisely. <laughs> you know, he's, he's, he's somebody who, as an international manager, you used to getting what you're given and with that's what's going to be like with Mislin Tat and Sanjay they're going to be telling you know telling the manager that you know what do you think who do you fancy well actually this is probably all as much as we can afford at the moment because all right, so you think your hunch is Yogi Love is going to be sporting his knitwear on Arsenal's bench next season yeah. Jules and James yeah there's been all sorts of other managers mentioned Arteta who supposedly is Sven Mislintat's choice is that right or even Luis Enrique who uh, the head of recruitment apparently is is eager to bring in Patrick Vieira is also in the frame the Italians are also in there who who's going to be who, who do you think is going to be ending up there who's your hunch well I think just to go back on what Matt was saying about Yogi Love the problem is Arsenal see it uh, or should see it is that um, there will be with the German national team deep into what mid-July if they go all the way mm. And then he's, he'll have to extricate himself from that, and so he's not, yeah, he's not going to have time to basically look at what Arsenal need, and and basically make recommendations on the basis of that. He's got May, hasn't he? I mean, he's not doing much at the moment. Still, I think it's, I think it is that is sometimes problematic, and also in a World Great. Cup, in a World Cup um, summer, yeah. a new manager is going to have less time to work with the players. Because the, it, all your internationals are at the tournament. But that's going to be then true have an, whoever they bring. They have an extended holiday yeah. to, to recover. The Premier League starts earlier than any other league. Mm. It's not ideal. Now, Conte, Conte obviously handled that. But it's not ideal. It's yeah. not ideal. No, but that'll be true for any manager coming in. So well, no. who do you think no, you is going to be there? If it's someone who's not in a job uh-huh. at the World Cup... They could come in. They can come in in June and prepare, and, you know, prepare everything until the start of the season. Which but there won't be anyone to prepare with. They're all at the World Cup. I mean, the, the, the real challenge is to party at the moment. <laughs> so, no, the players, the players that he no, would no, be prepared yeah, you know, are not going to be there. Prepare. Jules, let me ask you for your hunch. J- James rather shirked the issue there. <laughs> We're coming back, back to him. I think he would be Luis Enrique. So yeah, Yogi, Yogi Love, Luis Enrique. James? I think if it's going to be an Italian, the problem is they're going to have to buy Who's out a contract. Be? Yeah, who's it going to be just, then? Just I think, say a name. Just say a name. Okay, I think in terms of profile, I've said this before, Maurizio Sarri is, is very good because he but works... But do you think it's going to be Sarri or who do you think Arsenal are going to go for? Not what they should do, but who do you think yeah. it's going to be? 
I think it's it's going to be one of those who's available at the moment. <laughs> it's not on the contract. Just and Luis Enrique then. Luis Enrique. Enrique. All right. Thanks. Listeners, around 97% of those of you who tune into the Totally Football Show are male. But despite being more likely to be diagnosed with cancer than women, men are much less likely to ask for help, even when they need it. And that's why we've teamed up with Macmillan Cancer Support to try and put that right. Cancer can affect you emotionally as well as physically. It can affect your relationships, your work and your confidence. So it's vital to seek support. Talking is an important part of dealing with cancer and Macmillan wants to make men with cancer of whatever sort more aware of this so they can be honest and open with their family and loved ones. For more information or to find support, visit macmillan.org.uk. That's M-A-C-M-I-L-L-A-N.org.uk. Quick reminder of the situation at the bottom of the table. Swansea are four points clear of the drop. Huddersfield, West Ham and Palace, six points clear of the drop. Brighton are seven out of, you know, away from danger. But the teams that are looking to break out of the relegation zone are Stoke and Saints. Stoke are going to be at Liverpool. Oh, Preacher Ben's going to this. With his son Noah for his eighth birthday. I hope he's a fan of uh, Danny Ings and Simon Man- Mignolet and <laughs> all the other little Clavan. Clavan is a lovely player to watch yeah. live. Well, that would be nice for the boy and for Noah. Uh, it's a vital game for Stoke. We'll see what happens there. Paul Lambert James never lost an away game as a, um, at Anfield. Is that right? Has he ever yeah. played there as a manager? West no, he's won, won three, drawn two of his five matches there Brilliant. in all competitions. Somehow. Hey, heads Somehow. up. Yeah. Di Francesco should have called him. Um, yeah. before the, the first leg, you know? Got some pointers from Big Paul. That's interesting, get, isn't get, it? Get Caro up front and bang it to him. <laughs> That's what he said. Swansea, meantime, who, uh, as we mentioned, are four points above the drop. And, the, you know, the next in line for trouble are going to be hosting Chelsea. Mm. You know, ball boy gate <laughs> and that. Swansea not safe yet. They haven't won a game in five. And they've got Saints, who are kind of right behind them, are coming up in a couple of weeks' time. But three of their four games um, are at home, right? Where I think they've taken what thirteen from eighteen points yeah. in twenty eighteen. So if they lose this, though, mm. if they lose this, and Saints win their game, which is at home to Bournemouth, which is you'd think a winnable fixture, and Stoke win away to Liverpool, which Paul Lambert will do, yeah. yeah. Then all of a sudden you've yeah. got two teams just one point behind you, Swansea. And remember, Chelsea do actually, much to everyone's surprise, have something to play for because because of Spurs's slump. Mm. There's only only five points between them. Yeah, and uh, I think um, yeah, Southampton and Stoke will be looking at that fixture, thinking you know they can they can definitely close the gap. Although, going back on what Swansea are doing, they they actually face them in the final two games of the season, so at the Liberty, so they're kind of they would still yeah, be mas- game, no? masters of their own destiny. Yeah. So, but it, uh, but that's even huge. Gap, yeah, even if the gap is close to one point, they still very much have their own destiny in their own hands. Swansea, right. being at home against those teams. Southampton have only won five games all season. Matt, what else is bad about their situation? <laughs> well, one positive is that their goal difference is better than most of those around them. Okay. Um, and if they win the two games, it's going to improve necessarily. And if they are to survive, then others around them could, well, would have to lose those games, thus making their goal difference necessarily worse. Um, mm. Even Palace aren't safe on 35 points. Hmm. Um, you know, certainly not mathematically. Palace this weekend are playing Leicester. That business of the five points between Chelsea and Spurs in the race to finish in the top four 
Is Spurs' mini slump, they haven't won in three, if you include the FA Cup semi-final, is that going to continue, do you think, as they host Watford at Wembley? No, I think I think they'll bounce back. I think they, you know, they were very disappointing and disappointed against uh, against United at Wembley in the, in the semi final last weekend. They they realise still, you know, how far they are in those big in those big big games, you know, and and I think they'll finish the season somehow. Will finish fourth, and then can can try to learn the lesson from this year going into next season. But you know, I think. They beat Watford on Monday night and yeah. they'll be back on track. I mean, okay. their final three games, they've got West Brom gone and then they've got what Newcastle and Leicester at Wembley who have got nothing to play for, really. So, do you know who, should be okay. Do you know who does have a scary last three games? Who? Huddersfield. Huddersfield. Oh. Huddersfield, who this weekend are taking on an Everton side that's on what, a one-game one win, winning streak now, <laughs> beating Newcastle on Monday night. And, and after Huddersfield host Everton, which, ah. Gonna be an interesting clash yeah, yeah. of stars that one, isn't it? Might not be the most open of, of of games, but after that, they've got City, Man City away, Chelsea away, and then Arsenal at home. In what will be a very special day for Arsenal fans? Of yeah. Well, if any of them can remember the, the, <laughs> 19, turn up. the 1930s. No, no. Well, I'm, I'm assuming that that you're making reference to to the fact that Herbert Chapman, having won three titles at Huddersfield, went to Arsenal, and there's a big uh, statue. Yeah, a nice little bit of symmetry. Of course, there. that's what yeah. I was referencing. No, you're not. Yeah, okay. <laughs> of course, it's the Herbert Chapman Derby. Yeah, it is a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that's nice. And he's and he's and also be Arsenal's valedictorian performance. Absolutely, yeah. and yeah. he's regarded as the greatest manager certainly since Chapman, if not of all time. Of Arsenal, it all so. comes full circle. Mm. Do you think David Wagner should be in the conversation for the Arsenal job? He's been linked with Chelsea as a kind of. Uh, is he? Yeah, I mean, I think he was asked about it in Kicker uh, the other day and was kind of quite uh, guarded about it. Do you read Kicker? All the time, James. Yeah, I've got a subscription. It, it, it drops on my doorstep every morning. Yep. You know, so, yeah. yeah. Kicker is not daily, though, so it can't be every morning. But I see yeah, but I, I, get, see the, I, I, get, I get the back catalogue. <laughs> <from when laughs> we'll, we'll move on. That's what's happening this weekend in the Premier League. Oh, let's correct something that I said last Monday. MK Duns have not been relegated already. But they're probably going to be. How did you get this one wrong? Well, because I, I, I got my maths wrong, basically. They, it would take not, a miracle for them to It would take out. a miracle. Specifically, they need Oldham, Northampton and Rochdale not to pick up a single point, And they need to turn around a 20-goal swing to do it yeah. on goal difference. Yeah, I mean, they're down. they're down, effectively. What I also said was that AFC Wimbledon were out of trouble and that, therefore, next season they would be a division above MK Dons for the first time ever. And they're not, I think, safe yet either. So it's complete nonsense. Okay. Complete nonsense, Complete nonsense, really. So here's some more ill-researched <laughs> facts in the championship. Cardiff blew their chance to go four points clear. We know that Wolves are champions. It's all about now who's going to get the other uh, automatic promotion place. They could have really got one foot in the second automatic promotion place. Uh, four points clear with two to go. They they lost three one to Derby though. With some shocking defending though. Was like it? They're choking. Yeah, yeah. They Are really they choking. Do. I think they could be. Yeah. I mean, uh, even Warnock, after he'd obviously had his mandatory rant at the referee for yeah. for ruining it for them and causing them to, to 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 lose the game, he then did concede that there was some uh, to quote him schoolboy defending from really from Cardiff in that game. Yeah. I mean Derby as well coming on the back of a dreadful run of results I mean they looked like they were going to be dropping out of the uh, playoffs at Millwall you know to, to Millwall's benefit but they just couldn't couldn't do it I mean, there's no excuse for that from, from Cardiff's point of view they've fallen apart since losing against Wolves mm. 
Cardiff, Fulham and Villa are the three teams who are still in the mix for that second spot. Coming up to the Championship, Blackburn have joined Wigan in a promotion success from League One. Either can still finish as champions. Producer Ben says Blackburn are certainly not counting their chickens. <laughs> uh, there's more of that kind of thing in the Totally Football League show every Tuesday. Listeners, here's a heads up for the latest episode of the excellent Game of Our Lives series with David Goldblatt that we've been telling you about. This week is a subject especially close to our hearts here at the Totally Football Show as David speaks to the author John Foote, author of the book Calcio, to discuss why football is so entwined into the fabric of Italian identity and its deep roots within the history and the politics of the country. Yeah, I mean, Italy itself, and this is mirrored in football, takes a long time to recover from the ravages of war. Bombed, famine, economic disaster. I mean, it takes a long time. And this clearly, even the physical bodies of the footballers are ravaged by many of the footballers have been deported and had to came back weighing you know 40 kilos so it's kind of you can see it everywhere and it takes a long time to come out of that if you want to learn more about why football matters make sure you listen to game of our lives on apple Podcasts and everywhere else you get your audio on demand the game of our lives podcast with david goldblatt subscribe now john foot there whose whose book calcio is an invaluable guide to Many extraordinary stories surrounding Il Campionato Più Bello del Mondo. It covers everything. He also wrote one cycling in Italy. And Did he? Giro d'Italia is just around the corner as well. That's, that's true, isn't it? Yeah. Were he penning Calcio this weekend, I'm sure he would dedicate at least the chapter uh, to the latest iteration of the Derby d'Italia, which mm-hmm. is Inter against Juventus. It's happening Saturday night. It is indeed, James. At San Siro. Where Juventus lost last year. Yeah. And if they lose this time, that could be the title gone because their defeat last weekend, as we featured heavily on Monday, means that Napoli are now only one point behind them. Now, we, we do chat about this in Wednesday's Golazzo a fair bit. So let me just ask you for a prediction of that and what you think is going to happen when Napoli equally travel to the not always hospitable Artemio Franchi Stadium in Florence. I think Napoli will win. I think Juventus will drop points. <sighs> There was a protest at Juventus' training ground yesterday. I don't know if you saw this. No, I didn't. Um, where initially a group of vultures, I think there about 300 there, um, they uh, put a banner outside which said, um, we'll support you, you know, as long as you keep showing your heart. And then some within the group started uh, shouting for the players to start showing their attributes. Right. Uh, let's say as they came out, Dybala... Buffon, I think Marquisio had to get out of the cars, talk to the uh, talk to the ultras who said, you know, you've got to win, and they're like, we want to as well, you know. Um, so do they? Do, in, in, do they? <laughs> incredible that you know this this team, which is still top of the table, mm. um, six straight titles. Six. But what have you done for me lately? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah. bit of tension there. At the bit moment. of tension. Also, Tutu Sport, which come on. Um, they had a poll oh, yeah. uh, uh, yesterday where they asked uh, Juventus fans whether um, they should stay, uh, have faith in Max Allegri or Sack Allegri. So, you know what they said? What did they say? 53% want him gone. You're kidding. Unbelievable. So this, this is Sam Allardyce at Everton-esque, isn't mm, it? Yeah. It is. It's more common than we think. Mm. That's extraordinary. Yeah. I wonder who they want in, in, in his place. Napoli, anyway. It's free. No, they'd have to pick up his contract now, uh, Matt. They'd have to pay that out because, yeah. Mm. Maybe. Fans, eh? Or specifically fans who read Tutor Sport, which is a kind of 
subset. Yeah. Yes. Uh, Napoli uh, at Fiorentina this weekend. Uh, speaking of Napoli, on the Totally Football Quiz this Friday, Jules, among the many things you can win is a 2016-17 Napoli away shirt oh. from classicfootballshirts.co.uk. Unfortunately, that's not the uh, camouflage one. Do you oh. remember the, which they then mixed with the, uh, the the yellow one with the blue sash because yeah. there was a uh, a claim uh, that the uh, the camouflage one was a copy of someone else's. Oh right, yeah. there was a Mar- was it Marseille or was Bastia. it them who did the denim one? Who did the oh, denim? Yeah, Marseille did denim, but Bastia <laughs> did that camouflage one as well. Oh, yeah. Remember when you brought us for that amazing? Oh, that's right. Yeah, Ibra, did you see what he's been up to lately? What's Ibra been up to lately? Well, he was in the swimming pool and uh, he gets a phone call and it comes through on his watch and it's the name, I think, of the uh, Sweden coach. Uh-huh. And uh, he just ignores it and then swims out. Stone, th- you know? They just happen to be filming this moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Magnificent. So um, I mentioned the Friday football quiz that's on... 12.30 on our Facebook page. And speaking of classic football shirts, they have their fantastic Fabric of Football event, which is happening in London's Shoreditch, Matt. Uh, until Sunday, you can find out more details on their website. I certainly will. I'd like to find out more details now about Carlo Ancelotti taking the Italy job. Is that Ooh. happening? Apparently they've met. There's an offer on the table, I think. Uh, it's mm, just he likes Carlo. things on the table. I have to move well, uh, some plates out of the way. Look, I mean, the, one of the guys who has a very big influence on on who gets this job is is Alessandro Costacurto, who obviously played many, many years under Ancelotti. And with him as well. And with him. He's a big fan of his. And um, I think also some of the thinking behind that appointment would be that Carlo would help bring in some of the uh, some of the old glories, if you like, like Paolo Maldini and Andrea Pirlo to be... Right directors within the Italian Football Federation because there's, I wouldn't say there's been a brain drain in Italian football but some of these guys there's obviously some guys with some great ideas about football who've just been marginalised really Maldini in, in particular so he would maybe bring them into the fold if he were to accept that job and not be in the running for let's say Arsenal or and, something like that and with a Conte and with Conte no no, with, no where, where's with Conte going to end up where's he off to I think, aside from the national team job, there's nowhere for Conte to go. At what the about moment. Arsenal? And I'm not being stupid, but what about Arsenal? This style of football doesn't match what Arsenal would want. This is why the Simeone thing is just always going to be nonsense. Mm. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Jules, France. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> How PSG are the winners. They are. The they winners, are. Yeah. Um, but behind them, what a race for second spot. Monaco crumbling, completely losing 7-1 for that title game in Paris and then 3-1 at Guingamp last weekend mm-hmm. completely just out of it like you know players not putting the effort in is it because they know the manager's going I don't think so I think some who are going to go to the World Cup are sort of like preserving themselves for the World Cup I think others um, you know who know that they would be there next season that they would be you know the Nothing would change. I think I'm happy. And even Jardim said those players shouldn't forget that you know Monaco are paying their wages and it's a lot of money for a lot of them. So they need a reaction this weekend because behind, as you said, Monaco, and, uh, Marseille and Lyon are just one point behind in that race for second that we thought was done and dusted. And now it's just back on track, which is which is great for you know for the league and the mm-hmm. suspense until the end, really. All right. How, how far are Marseille away from being an actual rival for PSG again? I don't think they're too far. I don't think they're too far. They need a bigger bigger squad because I think they were always a bit short this season and I think Garcia has done amazing to take them to a Europa League semi-final uh, which is played tonight against RB Salzburg and also to the, you know being 
level on third, fourth, but level thirds uh, in the league as well with the squad that he has, which is thinner than even the Lyon one, to be fair. So, and I think credit to him and credit to the club. They will have to invest more, but there's still money there to invest from, from Frank Marcourt, the, the American millionaire. So, you know, let's hope they can build on this season in the summer for next season and, and go and compete with PSG because you expect Monaco to be stronger. Lyon, if they qualify for the Champions League, will hopefully keep their best players like Nabil Fekir, who, by the way, his younger brother Yassine trained with the first team for the first time this week. So it was funny to see the two brothers. Little Fekir. Little Fekir and big Fekir <laughs> are training together. So yeah, it should, it should make a very interesting season next year. Hopefully okay. with Tuchel, you know, as a first season, you just never know what kind of first season he's going to have. So yeah. there's a lot of interesting things. Potentially, uh, yeah, and it, it might be a PSG that's uh, waved bye bye in the meanwhile to uh, one of its biggest names, of course, uh, who may well be by then playing in Spain, where this weekend Barcelona can wrap up the title at Deportivo, depending on what Atletico Madrid do uh, at Alaves. Barcelona actually lost at the Riazor against Deportivo last season, so it's not a foregone conclusion. Although they, they did beat them eight eight nil the, the season before that, <laughs> there. Uh, so anyway, Barcelona inching their way towards the title. Celtic can wrap up their league this weekend as well. They're at home to Rangers. Again. As late as this. Yeah. A title that has been won, though, is that of the CONCACAF Champions League. Minos Chivas beating star-studded Toronto FC in a penalty shootout. Ooh. Words here of UCL Youngboy, who points out additionally that Mexican teams have won the CONCACAF Champions League every year for the last 12 seasons. Wow! Yeah, not exactly minnows, are they? It's a wealthy league. Yeah, there's a lot of money there. Mm. There you go, you sell young boy. Good. That's, I think, enough football chat. Let's get the odds on all of that kind of thing. Producer Ben is joined by Lee Price from Paddy Power. Lee, let's talk about Arsenal. Let's talk about Man U, but let's talk about Arsenal first. Uh, who's taken over? We've, we've been talking about the managerial runners and riders. What, what are the markets doing? Yeah, this race is more cluttered than the Grand National, to be honest. Uh, but we think Arsene Wenger's endorsement for Luis Enrique could be a slight clue. Uh, the Spaniard is now our 5-2 to favourite ahead of former Arsenal captain Mikel Arteta, who's 6-1. to one. Uh, Former frontrunners Joachim Love, Patrick Vieira and Ancelotti have all drifted like an Arsenal team after Christmas, back when they used to win things. Speaking of uh, when they used to win things, they used to battle it out with Man U for the league. They are taking on Man U at Old Trafford. It's the last meeting as well between Mourinho and Wenger. Is there a money-back special on this one? There is indeed. There's money-back as a free bet if United win, and that applies to losing first, last, anytime goal scorers and what odds Paddy markets. Max refund, £10, and I'm tipping up the 8-2. All right, let's go a bit further down the table. I think that Spurs are having a bit of a wobble what price can you give me on a double of Chelsea to beat Swansea and Spurs to lose at Watford? Yeah, this is some bet. If this comes in, it'd be almost impressive a double as Man City's this season. Watford just to win at Wembley are a huge 14 to 1. And if you add Chelsea to that, you get a price of almost 21 to 1, which is pretty incredible for a double. Uh, we massively favour Spurs, though, to win that match. They're 1 to 9. Uh, so I think they will could end. All right, well, I've got another one for you. I'm taking uh, my eldest son for his eighth birthday to Anfield for the first time uh, for the big one against Stoke because that's all <laughs> anyone wants to see as a Liverpool <laughs> fan at the moment. Um, probably going to be quite a lot of changes from, from Klopp. Uh, is Dominic Solanke going to score a hat-trick? <laughs> Your poor son. Um, so the England starlet has scored a hat-trick this season, Google tells me, albeit for the under-23 side of Liverpool. Um, with the Champions League second leg coming up, 
there's going to be massive changes and it's not mad to expect Solanke to run Stoke ragged. We offer hefty odds though, 55 to 1 as Solanke bags a hat-trick. Men and ladies of the Totally Football Show, why waste time going to the shop to buy overpriced quadruple-bladed vibrating turbo razors and making the likes of Thierry Henry and Roger Federer even richer by doing so? Instead, head to cornerstone.co.uk slash totally and pick up a personally engraved razor and six super sharp blades delivered right to your door for just £4. There are no gimmicks with Cornerstone, just a closer, smoother shave than ever before. And it doesn't just work on your face either. I used it on Jimbo's head before we started recording. Mmm. Head to cornerstone.co.uk slash totally to see for yourself. And if you don't love your first Cornerstone shave, they'll give you your money back, no questions asked. You can find out those odds and more at paddypower.com. 18 plus only, begambleaware.org and when the fun stops, start. And you probably find odds there on who's going to win... World's Strongest Man in 2018, Ooh. which is all going to be lifting off in the Philippines this weekend. Who's your favourite, James? Well, it's a. I've probably said this before, but it's possibly the greatest lineup ever. Mm-hmm. But Eddie Hall has withdrawn from competition after winning it last year because he's been lured away by a more, more, more exciting offer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, working beside me on the Channel Five presentation team, wow. but. But, Matt, you'll be excited to know that Brian Shaw is confirmed, that Hapthor Bjornsson, after oh, his, sure. after the ugly, ugly scenes that followed his disappointment last year, has buckled down and trained up and is going to be there. Oh, and you've got the Lallas brothers, both of them. Alexi? No. Yeah, Alexi, Alexi <laughs> Lallas and Vitatus. You've got Big Z's back. You've got so many strong contenders. Mm. And you've got the new breed. You've got Kiliskowski. Uh-huh. The, the machine Where's he like from? Pole. He's oh, the pole. pole. Yeah. yeah. Lissis, Martin's Lissis. Mm-hmm. The, uh, with the Corn Road oh, yeah. American stroke Lithuanian. Oh, you've got so many big names and, and, and some British hopes as well. But I think this might be a. It, it's going to be another big showdown between Shaw, Thor, and who's the other one? That's <laughs> it. There. Yeah. It's going to be a big showdown, and, and Shaw and Thor are definitely going to be in there, you know, in the final reckoning. What but training you can't have you been find doing? out what happens until... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it'll be on at Christmas, so not long to wait. Mm. They announce the Christmas festivities earlier and earlier every I love year, it. don't they? I love that show. Oh, cheers, Matt. Listeners, hope you have a great time in the meanwhile, and I will see you soon. For now, from all of us here, it's goodbye. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, email sales at muddykneesmedia.com. Totally Football Show.